This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. It's over, Dan. The Red Bulls four-match league losing streak is over. Our national regional nightmare is over. Last night at Red Bull Arena, New York gets an early goal from Magic Mike Grilla, our guest tonight on Seeing Red. They survive, uh, despite being up two men, they do their best to fight and scratch and try to get another goal in, which doesn't happen, which leads to some people calling this the worst win in Red Bull's history. But nevertheless, it's a win that pulls New York out of the funk just days before the second installment of the Hudson Derby, when New York will take on the first of two big matches for them, NYCFC at Yankee Stadium on Sunday, and then the Cosmos at home in the Open Cup on Wednesday. Tonight on Seeing Red, look back at the RSL win. We'll cast some shade on the Vancouver loss. We'll talk about frustrated Red Bulls fans, which, you know, I guess... It's a after, weekly topic, isn't it? That's a, well, you know, I mean... At least for the last month. At least for the last month. That's right. We'll give our Bull and Cow of the Week. We'll preview NYCFC. We'll talk about some local events. And uh, and then we've got your emails. Oh, and Mike Rella. Dan, New York uh, gets the early goal on a shoss by Sean Davis that somehow finds its way to Magic Mike. Uh, puts the ball in four minutes into the game. And you, you thought this was a perfect start for New York. They get some more help with two red cards could be argued questionable, and yet that that was how we ended. What was your take on the match? Um, I mean, it was a flying start, and I think this was the the classic case of a the team that goes down a man starts bunkering and trying to hit on the counter, and you know it was certainly frustrating to watch just in terms of the shot count. RSL had one shot in the second half, and the Red Bulls had God knows how many. Um, they ended the night on twenty four. Uh, you know, 24 to 4 were the shots. Right, you know, that's, that's a pretty reasonable margin. I, I felt bad for fans sitting in the north end of the stadium because they <laughs> really didn't get to see anything in the second half. Not that they necessarily yeah. want to see the defense uh, trying to, to fend off an attack other than uh, Devin Sandoval looking like Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I thought, it was actually impressive to me because I've seen this team so many times when they're up a man get that, that lull of... Uh, you know, that they think they're safe, that they can push forward, and then they do get hit on the counter. And so, you know, the fact that RSL never really had a chance, despite being down one or two men, depending on the point in the game, um, it, it showed a little bit better of a mentality than they, they normally do in those sorts of situations. That said, it's certainly frustrating to not be able to score, but when you've got somebody like Nick Romando and Ned, it's, I'm not that surprised that it still ended one nothing. When you have Nick Romano and Ned and you have seven players in the box, it makes it very difficult. Uh, of course, after the loss to Vancouver on on the weekend at home, again, New York has never beaten Vancouver in MLS play, uh, where Bradley Wright Phillips completely melts down. Here he is playing on the wing instead of up top. You've got a bong playing. Uh, you have what, what Jesse Marsh called one of the youngest, if not the youngest, lineup in Red Bull's history, you had three homegrown players on the field. Miazga, welcome back from New Zealand. Good on you. 
Connor Laid and Sean Davis, who I thought acquitted himself very well in the center, and obviously helped convert that the goal. Um, and you had Brad kind of drifting wide, uh, wasn't always super engaged in the attack, but he did he did play a role in helping to set up the goal. And after missing having two PKs saved on Saturday, something had to be done about Bradley because even at the Open Cup game, I mean he he's in a funk. And I guess that's one way to pull him out. It was, and it, it was kind of interesting to watch, especially during the first half as it was still 11-on-11. 11 11. Um, it felt like a couple of times that Abong was in the BWP role from 2014 and Bradley was in the Thierry Henry role from 2014. You know, he he has been doing a better job as distributor, trying to get something started, and Abong was trying to make these runs in the box. Had a couple good chances. Um, shame he couldn't put any of them away, but, um, you know... It, it certainly will help Bradley get out of the funk, but he does need to start scoring again. It's interesting, though, when you consider the players that didn't play. Obviously, Lloyd Sam is still recovering from the knock he took only eight days ago against Atlanta, and Sasha Kleshin was sitting out with uh, with his uh, red card suspension picked up against Vancouver in the horrendous first 15 minutes of that match, which left many Red Bulls fans wondering just how things were ever going to get better. But at the very least, Kleshin will be fresh, as fresh as fresh can be. New York's still in the middle of six matches in 18 days. This will be match number four on Sunday at Yankee Stadium at 5 p.m. Interesting to note, ESPN has moved this from the from uh, ESPN2 to ESPN The Uno and have added a 30-minute pregame show in case you don't have enough of Taylor Twelman and Alexi Lawless. Oh, excuse me, Taylor Tillman. Uh, that's a flashback, folks. Yep. Sorry. Taylor Tillman and Adrian Healy, Healy um, they'll be on with a full half-hour game show before the 5 o'clock kick. Of course, you, if you're listening, will most likely be at Yankee Stadium for the match. But back to RSL. Um, you know, I think a lot of people forget that Abang is 18 years old. He's 18 years old. And, he, you know, he has a couple of goals on the season. He certainly had a few chances to beat Ramondo. Eh, maybe if not one on zero, then you know close to it. And he's he's going to learn and settle into what it's like to play at the top of the Red Bulls formation. So um, yeah, the fans though were so frustrated, and I, I think any time a team goes up two men, naturally the fans are going to assume that New York's going to be able to put two or three or four more goals in the net, and it just didn't happen. It didn't, but, I mean, RSL packed it in, as you said, and it's very difficult when you've got seven in the box or five in the box or whatever it is to break that down. Uh, and this team has had problems breaking down teams that sit back all year, so this was sort of the, the arch-type case, and good thing they got that fourth-minute goal. Yes, for sure. Right, because two men up and you're playing to break a scoreless draw, the, the, the frustration would be uh, overflowing, I think, onto the field. Right. So, New York wins 1-0. They are 5-5-5 five, five, and five on the season so far. And it's interesting, before we go to Bull and Cow, I think if New York's result distribution had been something like win-draw-loss, 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 instead of four out of five wins and then four straight losses, fans maybe would feel a little bit better about the way things are, especially as NYC now has won three straight matches, and we'll get into them in a minute. So, you know, what's your take on how fans should feel? I know that there are a lot of uh, 
Petkeites that were you know, livid about everything that happened over the last two days at Red Bull Arena, the last two matches, despite the fact that New York won. Uh, I, I don't know if I'm in a preaching mood, Mark. Uh, All right. Well, I'll say this. The, the four losses, the Red Bulls stayed in those games, and they were not played off the field. They were not, you know, deeply embarrassed, but they didn't collapse. They, they were in those matches – I think the worst result was the Houston one. Four two, two, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, but where New York had the lead. Yeah, but generally speaking, they've been in those games, and I think that being frustrated that they dominated a game, but it just didn't show up on the final scoreline. Um, you know, I I get the frustration. I don't necessarily agree with calling for people's heads and calling for players to be traded back, um, as some <laughs> some are arguing today, futilely, uh, and. Uh, you know, I and I disagree with you that if the about the results if they had gone win draw loss win draw loss because then there wouldn't have been any buying in among the fan base. I they see. would have said this is terrible. They can't string two wins together. Mm. You know, bring back Petkey. Um, so I instead they're saying we can't score without being up two men. Bring back Petkey. Right. Well, and I think the the offensive fireworks problem has has been omnipresent even with the hot streak. You know, this was not a team that was scoring a lot of goals. I think Eric Giacometti pointed out this team has not scored more than two in any game this season. Yep. And that, that seems to be a little problematic because it would be nice if they could put some more away. But it, I don't think it's panic. I certainly wouldn't panic after a win, especially to snap the streak going into the derby. You know, if, if next week bottoms out, uh, you know, the, the team has a transfer window opening up and the expectation will be that they improve. And that, I think, is a, another source of fan frustration, Dan, is that obviously the team across the river has been very public about their uh, the imminent arrival of Pirlo, and of course uh, Lampart will be arriving as well. And they look at uh, Ali Curtis, and they're seeing a lack of really anything other than the notion that we're looking for the right player, it has to be the right fit, we're not necessarily you know, looking at players of that global international stature. And I think that is another point of frustration. Although I will add that when Tim Cahill came to the Red Bulls, there was absolutely no warning at all. It was almost as if, oh, well, it certainly was a very uh, tightly held secret, mm-hmm. but it was seemingly that morning, oh, I think Tim Cahill's coming to New York. So... Uh, and say what you want about Cahill's tenure in New York, but for a time he was a very, very important player on the team. So the transfer window does not open till after July 4th weekend, and the, the scuttlebutt, or one theory, is that should the, the ink get dry, that Pirlo will be introduced at halftime on Sunday, which of course will have uh, yelps of joy from Blue fans that have been suffering for three months, apparently, because their team isn't in first place, and Euro snobs around the city will uh, feel a stiffening. So, nevertheless, um, you know, the, the lack of news or, I think, rumors that have any legs to them is also a, another reason why fans might be frustrated. Oh, absolutely. And I, it's hard now that there's direct competition in the market to see a rival getting better and not hear that you may be getting better outside of the standard nonsense rumors about Drogba and Ronaldinho and those sorts of guys. So um, I, I would laugh very heartily if he comes out at halftime and is serenaded by the wonderful 
uh, <laughs> thing that is City Beats, which I I hope Red Bulls fans enjoy this weekend. If you haven't seen that band before, oh my god. Um, but you know, it's it's a natural source of frustration, but it's one this team has felt for the last three summers, because right. every summer it's well, we got to find another DP to you know, it was Phil the Rafa Marquez spot for a while, and now <laughs> now it's just Phil a spot, and you know, hopefully Ali Curtis is scouting and making some moves, and the pocketbook's going to open, and the fans can feel a little bit better that they're not being outspent at least. Hmm. It's it's going to be hard to feel not at spent, I think. Um, Bull and cow for RSL. Just for RSL? Or just for RSL. You know, Vancouver, it's so far in the rear view. What is it, four days? Like, I just, it's too it's too far for me. So let's just go for for RSL because that was a more positive experience. Your bull, sir. Uh, you know, I was going to... The the easy choice is Grell, especially because he's on the show tonight. But I felt like there was somebody else I was going to give it to when I was looking around the other day. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give it to Grella. I, uh, I thought that Dax worked his tails off uh, big time. Um, I was very pleased with Grella, not only because he scored, but also his work rate. Um, Kamar Lawrence. Kamar had Lawrence had a great night. Had a great game. And for those of you that don't know, Kamar Lawrence was named to the best 11 of the group stage of the Copa America, despite his team losing all three matches. That's a big deal. And uh, come the Gold Cup, where Lawrence obviously will also be playing, um, this is a guy that is going to be making some waves. And we'll soon find if if the Red Bulls were a shortstop on his career, I think, or... Or just, uh, or hopefully a longer stay. So uh, I'm going to give mine to Lawrence, and Dan, of course, give his to Grella. And do you have a cow, sir? Don't have a cow. I, I, I'm going to have a cow, and it, it's the reason I asked about Vancouver because I'd like to give it to Sasha Cluster. Mm. That red card was comedically poor. It should have been two red cards, if not three. <laughs> um, it, it, it's completely ridiculous in the tenth minute of a game. It's emotions getting away from you. Puts your team in a terrible position, especially in this run of games where there's no breaks, nobody's legs need those extra minutes. Uh, it, uh, unfathomable. It's unfathomable that a guy like Waston could actually get into his head 10 minutes into a match where you haven't won in then three matches and you're playing at home and you throw a, an elbow that doesn't even connect. It's, um, you know, this is supposed to be one of the Red Bulls' most savvy, internationally experienced players. And to make that happen uh, was incredibly um, just poor in every way. So I agree with you 100%. Whoa, wow, it's Sasha Kleschen. Our cow. So the blue team. New York City FC is 4-7-5 and five so far in their inaugural MLS season. They're tied for 8th in the East and 17th in a 20-team MLS. However, they are only 3 points behind the New York Red Bulls. They've scored 17 goals in 17 in 16 games, sorry, and allowed 19. They have a dead-even goal differential while playing in the postage stamp size pitch at Yankee Stadium. They score 1.2 goals a game there and they concede 1.2 goals a game there. Um, for comparison purposes, Red Bulls score 1.3 per game at home. On the road, they're conceding 1.7, although the Houston game obviously threw a monkey wrench into that. 
Their last five, a loss, and now four matches unbeaten for New York City, their longest win streak of their short history. A home draw against Houston, where uh, David Villa scored on a PK. Villa has four goals in his last four games, two via the PK. They have a road win at Philadelphia after going down early. Nyack's own Thomas McNamara, he of the mullet, and Patrick Mullins, uh, a goal in the 87th to win it. They had a home win over Montreal, 3-1, to via Disgrude and Poku with the goals. And their most impressive goal in their, sh- uh, win rather, in their short existence was the 2-1, uh, 2-0, excuse me, road win at TFC where David Villa had both goals, one on a PK. As I said, Villa has four goals in his last four games and six ga- goals total in the season with three assists. Patrick Mullins, former Rev, 3-3. Three and three. Our old friend Mehdi Bellucci with three goals for the blue team and two assists. Miss Mixdiskarud and his flowing locks with two goals. Poku, one and three assists. McNamara, one and one. And Kyrie Shelton, who's hurt, one and one. Behind the net, they have Josh Saunders, former LA Galaxy MLS Cup winner, four, six, and five on the season. A 1.2 goals against three shutouts, including the win at Toronto last week. And it seems like... Since the two teams met at Red Bull Arena on May 10th, the fortunes of the two clubs have, uh, other than, of course, Wednesday, have been heading in very opposite directions. I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it's weird watching the, the rebound from NYCFC because nothing's really changed. No. Um, same group of players. Jason Kreiss is still mixing up the lineup fairly routinely. Um, Adam Nemich is featuring far less, so maybe that's helping. Um, but, you know, the the people to watch for, especially because he's finally being allowed to start, is Claudio Poku, um, who, you know, is extremely beloved by the home fans uh, to the point where you would think he was the third DP and not, uh, you know, possibly Pirlo. Um, you know, Mix has been all right. And uh, the defense just, all, just right. all right. Just and all the right. defense has started shaping up a little bit better. Uh, R.J. Allen, who was abused repeatedly by Lloyd Sam uh, in the first edition in May, uh, has gotten a little better. Uh, Shea Facey is starting to settle in, and so you know this is a team that's starting to put it together, which is of course why they're going to bring in one or two DPS and blow everything up in July. But um, <laughs> you know it's going to be a tough match at Yankee Stadium. The the field is definitely small. Um, if the Red Bulls want to exploit it, somebody who can take a long throw in would be good. Um, their, their improvement on set pieces this year with the, the tricky short corners and, you know, free kick shenanigans, uh, will definitely help. Um, I think that's a new hashtag. Free, free kick free shenanigans? Kick I'm down. Yeah. Can Janino take one? No. Um, yes. and I guess the, the wild card factor is the forecast is currently that it's going to be rainy on Sunday and, It'll be the first game on the the glorious mm. field of Yankee Stadium that has the bizarre infield patching over top of it um, that I think will be played in the rain. So God knows what the ball's going to play like. Um, so be ready for anything. Let me make a statement to Red Bulls fans that are going to the game. So I uh, was remarking to my family the notion of any jersey at Red Bull Arena last night, and there was any jersey there. Uh, the, the, it was probably 50-50 any jersey and Red Bulls gear, um, and which it, uh, continues to baffle me. 
if I'm going to a Red Bulls match wearing a Manchester United shirt, for me, is I just don't understand. Yay, soccer! We love soccer, and we know soccer. Anyway, if you are traveling to Yankee Stadium on Sunday for the match, wear red. Red anything. Red hat, red shirt, red pants. Do you have red pants? Red shoes. You have to wear red because the Red Bull fans that are there will certainly be outnumbered, and the Red Bulls fans that are there are going to have to make their presence known. Even if you're not sitting in the supporter section, wear red. Bring something red, don't wear something blue. It's very, very simple, folks. The supporter section will be most of the 300 level behind uh, the bench. They'll be behind, excuse me, one of the goals. Ten sections of supporters on the 300 level will fill Yankee Stadium with what real supporters that have struggled through the highs and lows of many, many years of supporting this team. And uh, if you are not a supporter but know the songs, sing them. And if you are not a supporter but uh, a casual fan, as I said, wear red and be proud about your redness on Sunday. So that said, New York will soldier on again, uh, playing in a first-time MLS venue. Lloyd Sam, uh, have you heard any updates on Lloyd Sam's condition? I thought I heard he's going to be available, but um, I wasn't at the press conference today, so okay. I can't Okay. Um, so, nevertheless, uh, it's it's probably the most meaningful game, road game that the team has played since the playoff uh, Eastern Conference Finals number two uh, at New England. So, please go out. I, I just actually tweeted, apparently, there are quite a few tickets available on the secondary market for this game, which is really, really interesting, considering that they, they're hoping for a sellout. And if it does rain, it'll be interesting to see just how many people do uh, show up in the Bronx. Um, if you are with the supporters, or even if you're not, I know that there's a pregame event at Legends Bar. Uh, then there will be a march to the subway. Uh, they will be corralling outside of uh, the stadium in the park there, and then a formal march-in where the ESPN cameras will be... Uh, will be uh, embedded inside the supporters group for better or for worse. So uh, be there early, make a lot of noise, support your team, and um, we will actually be back before the Cosmos match with a short review and preview. So I don't want to get too into that other very big New York Soccer Wars match at this time. Uh, do you have a prediction, sir? No, I don't. No? No prediction Just from gonna me. Just going to watch. No. What's it going to be? Are you seriously not having seriously a prediction? not having a prediction? Hmm. I, we can't not have a prediction, and um, I think this is going to be a very hard-fought match. I'd like to call it a two-two draw. I think New York will have their head raised high as they walk out uh, with a very well-earned road point. Before we let you go, if you're listening to this on Friday, it's the last night of the Kicking and Screening Film Festival at the Tribeca Film Fest. Visit kickingandscreening.com. There also is a social media contest going on right now, and our good friend I think Bradley Ray Phillips just tweeted the hashtag to win, and that's WinRBNY. Um, there's a hashtag contest going on right now sponsored by Windows. The Empire State Building will be lit either red or blue 
depending on who gets the most tweets and votes on the special page at MLSsoccer.com. I won't lie and say that the Red Bulls are in the lead, the Red Bulls fans are in the lead, because they are not. Um, but nevertheless, uh, please support your team if you're on social media, Instagram as well. That's hashtag WinRBNY to take part. So when we are back, we are going to talk to number 13 for the New York Red Bulls. That's Mike Grello. We're going to be back after this quick break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup at Backheel.com. Mark Fishkin and Dan Dickinson here. First time guest, Mike Grella was born in Glen Cove, New York, and was the 2003 and 2004 Great high school All-American soccer player and the National High School Player of the Year in 2004. He was drafted by Toronto FC in 2009 after a year at Duke University and decided to test the waters in Europe. And after playing for a number of teams in England and Scandinavia, he caught on in a preseason trial with the Red Bulls, and he scored the only goal, the winning goal, in last night's Red Bull win against Real Salt Lake. Mike Grello, welcome to Seeing Red. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, you you've got a very tough stretch of matches. You, you're three matches down after Atlanta, Vancouver, and Salt Lake, and you have three more matches, City, Cosmos, and then Columbus, before you guys can take a little bit of a breather. How are you feeling after playing big roles in all of these games so far? Um, I feel great. Uh, physically, I feel great. Um, mentally, after getting the win last night, we, we definitely all feel a lot better. Um, but to be honest, we, you know, we stuck through uh, that skid, and, and we've all felt pretty positive throughout, and I think we've become a lot stronger. Mike, uh, walk us through the goal, and I think post-match you said that you thought Sean Davis had maybe flubbed the shot. Was Did he? Was that a pass? How, take us through it. Um, a Sean, uh, Sean Davies uh, passed to me? Yeah, well, just take us through the goal. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you know, we have been talking all season that uh, the weak side midfielder uh, needs to pinch in, especially when balls are going to get put in the box and it's a dangerous area to be in. Uh, I got to jump on my defender. Uh, Sean Davies had a, um, you know, he made good contact. I think he wanted to put a shot on goal. Uh, ended up getting a little bit away from him, but uh, for me being so alert on the back post and doing exactly what the management wants me to do, uh, I was able to get a tap in and, and it led to being the winning goal, and, and uh, so it worked out well. Mike, talk a little bit about the challenges of getting that second goal last night. Obviously, you're up two men for the majority of the second half. You got a lot of shots, and it, you just couldn't find the back of the net. Talk to us about how tough it was and how the team felt getting chance after chance. Yeah, absolutely. After the game, there was a little bit of a, and I'm sure the fans felt it as well, it was a little bit of a um, sort of a disappointment because they had uh, two men down for most, of the, for most of the game, and, you know, we felt like we, we probably should have won by more than one goal. But um, saying that, you know, you don't get uh, any more points on the table for, for winning more than one goal. And I think our patience and uh, a little bit of cleverness uh, was what secured the three points. You know, we didn't need to score two or three more goals. But uh, credit to credit to them, they sat back in and made it very difficult for us. They slowed the game down. 
and um, you know they sat back in in their own 18 and and, and turned the ball up top and put us under pressure and uh, it was not an easy match. You know, a lot of people think it's easier when you're playing a team that has a man down or even two men down, but it actually becomes a lot more difficult because each player really sets it up and they really sit in and pull together. So, um, you know, a little bit of a disappointment, but uh, we didn't get the second one. But very proud, you know, and that we got the result, and we got that done, and we're going to kick on from here. Was the team frustrated in getting down on themselves when the shots weren't going in the net? Um, you know, I just remember saying a lot, just shouting out all night to the guys, just don't get frustrated, keep going, keep being patient. Uh, the key when you're playing with a man up or two men up is just to keep the ball and, and be patient with it and wait for the opportunities to present themselves. You know, you don't want to force it and give the ball back to them and let them be in the game in any way. Um, so, you know, I just kept saying, don't get frustrated, just keep going. And I think a lot of guys were on board with that. And, uh, you know, we, we stuck it out to the 90th minute. It's not the way we wanted to win. We know we could be much better. But at the end of the day, we got the job done. Mike, uh, Jesse made a couple of comments after the match uh, reflecting on how he had spoken to you about a month ago um, about criticism that there had been of you in the media and maybe on social media. Um, and talking about how you had established yourself and how, uh, you know, you were a big piece for the team. Talk to us about what was going on inside your head over the last month and during that rough patch of form for the team. Honestly, for, uh, for me, it's been, it's been uh, a lot of the same since day one. Uh, Jesse is just a guy that you want to play for. Uh, I mean, I can't explain what it is. It's just, uh, you know, you see how hard he works and how much he gives his players trust and, and belief. And he's just a guy you want to work for and you want to play for. Um, for me, it's really been the same since day one. Uh, I'm really happy being back home. I love playing for the Red Bulls. I love being in New York. I love being with my family. Uh, and so all I do is go into work every day and work really, really hard. I was not too aware of all the criticism going on. I mean, there's always going to be criticism. But, um, you know, Jesse, Jesse from day one has been very honest with me and very uh, open with me and, He's uh, given me a lot of confidence over the last month, especially. Um, and, you know, I still say and I still believe that I can do much, much more than I'm doing even now. I think it's just the beginning of what I can actually do and what I can bring to the team. And uh, so that's it. You know, it's just a lot of hard work and, and just working with that management staff, with Jesse, with Chris Armis and, and Dennis, for all the guys in there. Uh, it's just been fantastic. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, you um, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, it's definitely a place, an environment where we can grow. Mike, you had mentioned about confidence and how Jesse brings out the confidence in you. Talk to us and listeners a little bit about how you stayed confident. You played for a lot of teams over a number of years uh, in Europe and frequent changes, and I imagine coaching changes. Talk to us about the odyssey that you had moving around English and Scandinavian football and your decision to finally come back home. Yeah, absolutely. I played for a lot of different teams in England. Couldn't really make it stick. Um, I just think it was a, honestly, it was much more, it was more of a cultural difference and a, you know, a difference in opinion of the way football should be played and, and was played. You know, in the lower leagues in England, it's very difficult if you're a technical player to, um, to sort of impose yourself on those games. But, yeah, I played for a lot of different managers, a lot of different coaches. You know, at one time, I thought about calling it quits uh, very realistically. But, you know, it's just about perseverance and uh, hard work. You know, you gotta you got to have faith and you got to keep going even through the tough times. Um, and, you know, when you meet when you uh, come across a lot of 
bad spells in your career, a lot of ups and downs. You can't find any consistency. You know, it becomes quite difficult. But um, we decided, my wife and I, that we wanted to settle down back in New York and have and have a family. And uh, if soccer was going to fit into that at, at the point at the at the stage I was in in my life, if soccer was going to fit into that, that was great. Um, it was it's still a big dream of mine. But if it wasn't, then I was going to move on uh, because. You know, I, I wanted to put my family first, and uh, you know that was the most important thing to me. So I decided to come back to New York, and uh, actually trained with NYCFC for a pretty long time, for about a month and a half, two months, and uh, got, was able to get back into shape. And then I uh, had the opportunity with Ali Curtis and Jesse Marsh, which, which was uh, unbelievable for me, for my family, and uh, you know I kicked on from there. So that's where we are, sort of right now. And you know we we're all just working hard to hopefully win something this season and really impose ourselves in, in this in the league this year. Mike, uh, I think we did the math and you were about nine years old when MLS started up. Uh, did you follow the league when it was in its infancy? And did you, you know, were you a fan of the Metro Stars back in the day? Um, you know, I, I knew a lot about the Metro Stars. Uh, oh, I wouldn't say a lot, but I did follow them. I did watch a lot of MLS. I watched a lot of City uh, Soccer and the EPL. You know, nine years old, I just loved watching soccer. I loved being part of it. I loved kicking the ball around. It's just been in me ever since day one. And and uh, the, the MLS, to see the way it's grown and to see from, from when I watched it when I was nine years old to now, it's just unbelievable, um, you know. Um, so I'm just really proud to be part of uh, an organization, a, a league like this. That's, that's definitely moving in the right direction. Mike, there's been uh, quite a few nicknames for you among the Red Bull fandom. I don't know if you've seen the Grella Artois shirt that our friend Bill Reese has made and is, uh, is putting out there. Is there a nickname for you, whether it's Magic Mike or Grelinho or anything like that, that uh, you've taken over the over the time you've been a pro? Uh, no, I've never really had a nickname. Um, I've heard a few getting thrown around, like Magic Mike, and uh, I've seen the Grill Artois shirt. I think my wife actually got one, um, which is pretty funny. But uh, <laughs> that, that's all great. That's, that's all great stuff. I, I mean, I am a huge supporter of the of the fans of of this club. I think they're fantastic, and um, you know they they've really worked hard to cheer us on and and to believe in the project that's that's moving forward here now. Which you know I can say with with uh, full honesty and a full heart that it, it's, you know, everyone is really working hard to accomplish something great here. Uh, it's definitely moving in the right direction, in my opinion. Mike, obviously you guys have a big week ahead of you. You've got uh, NYCFC on Sunday. You've got the Cosmos on Wednesday night. Um, talk to us about the NYCFC game. It's a, a you know rematch of the earlier derby. Yeah, um, you know, I, you know, it's interesting because they're on a bit of a hot streak now. Uh, well, we stopped the skid now, but uh, when we first met, we were on a hot streak, and they were on a little bit of a, a losing streak. So it'll be interesting to see. I think it'll be a true test of uh, of the quality of both teams. And um, you know, we're so up for the match. I'm sure they will be as well. And because the field is a little bit smaller, I'm sure it's going to be a physical game. And we're all ready for that. And at the end of the day, I know it's two New York teams. I know it's a big rivalry that we want to we want to continue to win. We started off on the right foot, but you know there's three points up for grabs in the league, and that's the most important thing. So we need to be focused and not get lost in the 
and the emotions of the night, and make sure that we do whatever it takes to execute our game plan to, to achieve three points if we can. Have you been practicing on a smaller field this uh, these last couple of days with the understanding that the Yankee Stadium pitch is so narrow? No, we hadn't, but, you know, um, we naturally have a lot of good players who can play in tight spaces, and a lot of the drills we do just in general are reactionary type drills that are in tight spaces. So I think we'll adapt quite well to the, to the smaller field, and there's no question um, in terms of players wanting to fight and wanting to battle. Um, so, so absolutely, um, we, we, we will be um, adequately prepared for the match. Mike, before we let you go, we asked our fans if they had any questions for you, our listeners, and we do have one from Dano Visado who asks, Mike, you and the team had early season success, and then things kind of plateaued a bit. How has the club handled adversity in the locker room during your losing streak? You know, um, it's, it's interesting. I've been part of a lot of clubs, like we said earlier, in England, and um, I've gone through a lot of um, clubs that are, you know, maybe not going through big, good spells. Uh, I actually got one club that ended up getting relegated. And the worst thing you, you can do is press the emergency button and, and really get worried and start pointing fingers. And it becomes very easy to do that when things are going the wrong way. For us, nothing really changed. You know, we just continued to work hard. We, 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 and we never felt that we were outplayed by anyone. We never felt that, um, you know, our conviction or, or our desire wasn't there. It was just a matter of not doing what we needed to do in both boxes, maybe a little bit of cleverness and nastiness about us. And, um, you know, I think that undefeated run took a lot out of us as well. So um, nothing changed in that moment in the locker room or with the management, you know. No one pointed fingers. No one talked behind anyone's back. We just aimed. We, we were very clear what we needed to execute, what we needed to do, and we just kept working on it and kept pushing each other on. Uh, we all understood that it was going to be a long season and how we need to stick together through the good and the bad. And I think you'll see the quality of your team and the quality of your character of the team in those moments. And, and we certainly stuck pretty pretty solid together, which I was very impressed by, but, but uh, had a lot of big belief that we would. So... Uh, nothing nothing changed too much. We just kind of stuck together and made sure we really focused on what we needed to do better. Mike Grello wears number 13 for the New York Red Bulls. Mike, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We hope to have you back later in the season, and good luck during Derby Week. Thank you guys very much. Very, very pleased to have you. We've got more Seeing Red coming up right after this break. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Ramble. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. Hey, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing okay, Mark. You enjoying the show? Oh, yeah. It's a good show. Uh, folks, write us at seeingredny at gmail.com, or you can call us at 973-602-9161. We've had very few calls of late. We have to we have to gig the calls. You can call if you're you know if you're angry if you're happy. Just leave us or leave us you know, just call and say your piece. We'll we'll get on the show. It'll be fun. We uh, we're going to read five or so emails. The best email is going to win four lower bowl seats plus field passes to watch warmups at an upcoming Red Bulls game. That's pretty cool. Here's Colin Rosen who writes. Amigos, I have to be honest. I'm pretty annoyed about that game. We're already winning one nothing, and their best player gets sent off. Should have been winning 4 nothing at halftime thanks to a couple of fluffed 
scoring opportunities. But then RSL go down another man? Seems to me a lucky break for us. And what do they do? They barely make Nick Ramondo sweat in the second half. Yes, a win is a win. But for me, it's embarrassing to be up two men at home for 30 minutes and not score a single goal in that time. The groans were loud in section 122, as I'm sure they were all over Red Bull Arena last night. And they'll only get louder if we don't beat the Blue Meanies this Sunday. The Red Bulls need more offensive options. Do you see Sanchez and Abon staying in the squad? I really like what I see from Davis. Also think Connor Lage should see more time. Though I've been saying that for the past five years now. Is there any way this team improves without a summer signing? Thanks, guys. Love the show. Keep up the good work. That's Colin C. Rosen 26 on Twitter. Is this team a playoff team without any additions to the roster? Sure. But there are a lot of playoff teams in MLS. That doesn't necessarily mean much. Um, I, I think we've seen at the beginning of the season that this team can compete. And even during, as we said earlier, even during the losing streak, they're staying in games. And it's, you know, bad bounces and missed chances and things like that. They have snake bit. They, they have. And you know, we've talked about it practically every year, Mark. You get hot at the right time, you find your form at the right time, and you make a run at the cup. Um, you know, I, uh, a couple of players, I think Luis Robles said uh, after the Vancouver loss, you know, you look at New England last year. They started off the season very hot. They put together eight losses in a row. They got mm. hot again, and they made a, you know, they made the cup final. So, um, yes, this is a playoff team. I, I, we've seen them compete, and we've seen them get results and good results against good teams. Uh, we'll re- remind everybody they took four points off of D.C. United, who lead the league at the moment. Um, the, the team is good, um, and uh, there was a comment in that letter about Nick Ramondo not having to sweat in the second half. Nick Ramondo sweat quite a bit. In he the made five half. saves. If that's not sweating, I don't know what is. It's important to know, looking at the standings today, from spot two through ten in the East, ten points separating nine teams, and two through six is four points separating five teams. So it's going to be very, very tight down the stretch, and funny little bounces will help. It's interesting to note, and we've talked about this on the show, New York has only one trip to the Pacific Northwest. Um, There are a number of teams that have to make two trips out there or play two games out there, which will certainly help them. But the divisions are going to close, all but close, uh, early this season which means you're going to see fewer interconference games, and these Eastern teams are going to be beating up on each other. Think about it. New York's first 15 games, they played nine matches against the West. So that's going to flip on its end, and you're going to see a lot of movement up and down. Also interesting to note, New York has four games at hand on D.C. Four. Mm-hmm. Four games at hand. And they're 14 points back. So I guess you can do the math. They're also four... Uh, Three games in hand on New England, and they're only four points behind them. So there's going to be a lot of movement. People are going to be up one day, down the next, up above the red line one day, and down the next. And that, my friends, is MLS. Here's Andrew, who writes, The return of Louis Throbless is a sight for sore eyes. (laughs) That's all he said. Uh, Louis obviously let one fly that helped uh, Felipe draw that uh, red card on Javi Morales, and if there's one player 
that drives that offense, especially now with Beckerman out um, and Saborio out as well, it's Jaime uh, Morales. So that was very, very well timed. What did you think of the red cards? Were those red cards? I thought the first one absolutely was. You go in two-footed from behind on somebody on a breakaway, you know, it, yeah. it can be distance from the goal, whatever else. It, it's still a really rash challenge, and I agree with the red on that. The the one on Connor made from uh, Phillips. Yes. You know, I, I watched the replay a couple of times. He had his spike showing. Uh, it was a wild kick. So by the book, it's absolutely a red card. But it was a a sloppy. It was a sloppy kick that didn't quite hit as hard as it could have. Uh, I believe I had a couple people telling me that Shep Messing was saying that Connor Wade was embellishing, which I thought was uh, a good sign that. Uh, Shep had enjoyed the bar before the broadcast started, but, um, you know, it's, uh, I can see the second one given, but if I'm going to have an issue between the two, it was the second one, not the first one. Yeah, the the strange part about it was that I don't think Phillips was actually looking at late at all. I mean, he was completely focused on the ball. Well, but that that shows more sign that you're being dangerous because you're You're completely ignoring the safety of your opponent. Fair enough. Um, I agree with you. Here's Nathan King, Nate King, who writes, Guys, I'm a Red Bulls fan who lived in New York for five years, but now I'm living in West Virginia. I love the show, and it keeps me entertained as I'm walking my dog. Hello, Nate and your dog. After missing two PKs, how do you think BWP recovers for the rest of the season? Does he rebound and recover his form from last year, or is it something that will hang over his head? It seems like without another real striker up front, or at least a legitimate playmaker, like Henri, BWP is having some trouble this year, and I've I've also been consistently watching soccer since 2009, but I can't remember seeing another player miss two penalty kicks in a game. Is that an MLS record? It is. First time it ever happened. The first time in 20 seasons or 19-plus seasons that the same player had two kicks in a row. Why in the world did Jesse actually allow him to try for the second time? Well, it it wasn't on Jesse to determine it. Because he's not on the field, right? And he actually said that he was happy Bradley stepped up and wanted to take it and bounce back, which, you know, I can can sort of get. I think the problem was that the penalties weren't terribly well taken. Uh, I think Bradley, Bradley said after the match that the second one was supposed to be going straight down the middle, and he mishit it slightly so it went to the left, which is where Osted happened to be diving. So, yes. um, you know, it, it's a bad break. I, there there were a couple of people joking that Bradley hasn't scored since he got married. Oh. Um, sorry, Bradley. Um, congrats, but, but, you know, the... Uh, yeah, so absolutely congrats. I, you know, if there's anything that will fire a striker back up, uh, as we learned back in May, it's a big derby match. So mm-hmm. we will see if he can regain the spark on somebody. Matt Rasmussen uh, wrote a novel, which I cannot read because it's so dreadfully long. But I will add, and I don't, I don't want you to hang your head, Matt. It's a great email. It's just a little long. So um, I'll pick it up here. While I love watching Henri and Cahill, I agree we don't need another, another over 32 DP with a big name to sell tickets. I'm resigned to the fact that Red Bulls can't sell more than 20,000 tickets anyway, but that's a conversation for another day. So why not go over and go after an overlooked second division player from somewhere? Look at what the Galaxy are doing with Sebastian Legette. Ninety-nine percent of the U.S. soccer fans had never heard of him. Austria wants to spend their money on motocross and skydivers, which is fine for them, but we're not asking for another five million dollar player a year. But they need to invest a bit more if they want a contending team. 
I don't expect you to name names, but what do you think about adding another quality player? Like a second division player like Bradley Wright Phillips? Thank you for your that's me. Thank you for your keen weekly insights, interviews, and information, Matt. And again, I'm sorry, there's just a lot here. Yeah, I mean I, I think when you think about what Ali Curtis is trying to do, I believe that he has the uh, chemistry of the team in high regard. And when you think about what the guys who are maybe 15 through 17 on the NYCFC depth chart are going to be like when Pirlo and Lampard get there, I mean, they're going to turn into orange orange, uh, training cones because they're never going to see the field, ever. And when you've got a team, obviously both of those players are accustomed to playing with huge, huge names. They are huge names in their own right. But for me, it's the American player that's making 50, 60, 70 K a year that all of a sudden is going to be suiting up next to some of our guys and next to uh, you know, these huge global stars. And obviously, there was a little bit of that when, when Henri was here for four and a half years, that people would simply defer. And Villa has certainly proven his worth, especially over the last month. But you almost wonder what that midfield looks like of Lampard, Pirlo, and Mix. And are, how long will it take them to figure it out? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, friend of the show, Matt Doyle, his, his uh, <laughs> motto this season is play the kids. And, you know, this is a year that you're seeing teams that have academies that are turning out good products benefiting from it. Uh, you yep. know, L.A., it might have been Matt who said this today or maybe somebody else, but, yes, L.A. has Sebastian Legette, but they also have, you know, 20 additional kids on the roster who are coming through the academy system that are all, you know, dangerous and can fill midfield roles and things like that. And I think this is the year you're starting to see the Red Bulls Academy start to produce on that level. You know, Miazga has been solid. I think it's hard to argue otherwise. You've got Sean Davis starting to make a name for himself. You've got Connor Laid back in the mix, um, who was uh, pretty solid marking Jao Plata. Um, which I thought was a Dan Metzger winning USL Player of the Week last week. You've got all these guys coming through, and that helps with the depth. I agree that you probably need a quality player, uh, you know, that doesn't have to be the $5 million a year DP, doesn't have to be the the retiree league candidate. Um, But, you know, the the team can always use more talent and quality. Nobody's going to deny that. But I, I think I don't want to drink all of the Academy Kool-Aid, but I'm starting to believe that there is good stuff coming out. You're starting to believe. We're going to read our winning email, and then I want to talk about what some of you uh, Uber geeks may want to hear about, and that's the kicking and screening pro-rel panel that Dan had the opportunity to attend. But first, our winner of the week, who's a first-time writer, I believe. Charles Scully, hey, love the show. I wanted to get your thoughts on how a small field at Yankee Stadium will affect the game this weekend at all. I've been looking forward to see how Red Bull's high-pressure tactics would play on a small field. Upon first glance, it would seem that these conditions would play in favor of the Red Bulls. A smaller field means less ground for the Red Bulls to cover when pressing opposing players. Ideally, this allowed New York to dictate play and stifle the blue team's possession. I'd really love to see us take it to the blue team away from home. Do you think something like this could play out, or am I simply overthinking things? Keep up the great work, Charles from Mawa. 
And thank you so much for writing, Charles. You're our winner, and we'll get back to you shortly uh, over email with your prize. Uh, we asked this question earlier tonight of Mike Grella, and he said, you know, we have a lot of players that are accustomed to high pressure, and they're accustomed to playing in tight spaces, and so they already see themselves perhaps having a little bit of advantage. Of course, for the blue team, that's their home field, so they, they've got to be very comfortable playing there. I, I don't know that they are. I mean, they, they have struggled there. They have not strung together a bunch of wins yet. I think the Montreal one might have been their second win at home the whole season. Yeah. Um, they, they have definitely been picked apart by teams that can handle the smaller field better than them. And I think if you're going to point at anybody on the Red Bull side who is good in tight spaces, it's Mike Rella. I mean, he has been fantastic about taking on one or two defenders with everybody else closing down around them and finding a way through in the box or down the, touch, the, down the end line, rather. Um, so the high-pressure play will certainly help. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how the system works. And again, we'll see what that rain does to the game because I think that might make it very different than what we're expecting. You you wonder almost if uh, Mark Teixeira and the boys will be sitting in the dugout going, Ooh, uh, don't, uh. No more slide tackles. No slide tackles. No more slide tackles. Treat it like a media game. So congrats, Charles. So, Dan, I want to hear about this Pro-Rel panel. Earlier this week at Kicking and Screening, our friend and guest Matt Doyle and friend and former guest on the on the show, uh, Eric Stover, who now, of course, is with the Cosmos, former Red Bulls uh, general manager, sat on a panel and uh, talking about all about promotion and relegation in American soccer. So I'm just very curious, what was that? Well, as I described it to uh, Jason Davis on Soccer Morning the other day, it was pretty, it was pretty okay. chill. Um, it was pretty it was, it was remarkably even-tempered, and nobody died, and Ted Westervelt was in the audience. Uh, had flown out from his home base in the Midwest just to attend the panel um, and lobbed the softball right at the end. Uh, I don't know why he couldn't put together a stronger question, but so be it. Um, you know, the, the, the points were there that I think most everybody would like it. Uh, Eric Stover said he didn't see it ever happening and then had to qualify that later by saying that he thought it was about MLS's structure and the owners not going for it. Um, there was a little back and forth jabbing about the Open Cup, about how this year USL knocked out most of the NASL teams, and then Eric pointed out last year it was flipped with NASL knocking out a lot of MLS teams. Um, but you know, there there is appeal and enticing to it for the the you know struggle of teams coming up and trying to avoid the drop. Um, and you've also got. Uh, you know, one of the things that makes it more attractive in England is, uh, is the championship playoff game at Wembley, which, you know, is 90 million pounds if you win it. So it's the richest game in football. And uh, right. the, the panel did follow after the Swansea documentary, Jack to a King, which uh, I am writing up a review for for Empire of Soccer, but I strongly recommend it's on iTunes. You don't have to be a fan of Swansea, although it certainly helps. Um, great, great film, really full of emotion. And, and there's a lot of things that happen in it that might might remind Red Bull fans of their own club. Uh, so. I'm, uh, I'm shocked that uh, Ted would do that. That would fly out, sit in the crowd. I understand uh, that he had to be prodded and prodded and prodded to actually uh, ask a question and then kind of flubbed it. But I guess it was, you know, I hope he had a good seat. Maybe he had an aisle seat. It was standing room only. But he, he had a good seat. Yeah. No, no, I mean uh, on the flight. Oh, yes. But on bomb. Well, listen, folks, it's been a great seeing red before the second ever Hudson Derby match. Again, wear red, B. 
be loud. Do those two things. The team's going to hear you and be very, very psyched to see so many red-shirted uh, folks there. So, uh, And um, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank our guest, Mike Grella. And, of course, he refuses to make a prediction. My prediction is it will be a soccer game that lasts 90 minutes. Okay. And I'm going to call it a 2-2 draw. We'll be back early next week to recap the game and preview the Open Cup match against the New York Cosmos. Um, all you Red Bulls fans, you must be at uh, Red Bull Arena on July 1st to support the team in that match. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good night. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.